Hey, what's going on? This is At The Letters presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. And today is Thursday, April the 8th. My name's Arden Zwelling. Ben Nicholson-Smith is with me. As always, our producer this week filling in for Christian Ryan is Matt Collins. And uh, running the video this week, as always, is Mike Tassoni. Hope everybody enjoyed the first week of Blue Jays games of MLB action. Ben, I don't even need to ask you if you enjoyed it because I know this has been a long time coming for you, my friend. 100%. It's actually, it's awesome having baseball back. I find myself watching so many games. Like I watched the entire Angels-White Sox series and that was a great series, obviously. Otani and Tim Anderson and Mike Trout. I mean, it's just incredible having baseball back. And I don't know about you, Arden, but for me, when I'm watching this, like it's it just goes from zero to 60 so quickly because in spring, of course, I watched the Jays games to the extent that we could. But I just and I didn't even realize this until the season started. But I don't care about spring training games. Like I just if the Angels, you know, like if the Angels and Rockies are playing a spring training game, I don't care. I don't care. But then if the Angels and White Sox are playing a regular season game, I'm dialed in. Like, give me that every single night I'm watching. That's funny, man. Like, I did care a bit more about the Jays spring training games this year because you were seeing interesting players more so towards the ends of them. It was like, oh, hey, there's Austin Martin running out to center field. And like, oh, hey, here's Elvis Martinez. And like, I frankly have not seen Elvis Martinez take that many plate appearances ever uh and so getting to see him in that environment a little bit and getting to see like oh this is why people are so high on him like that gave it more interest for me but yeah i'm not going to be dialing up the mlb tv to watch anything out of market during spring certainly i mean that's even you know sometimes a stretch during the regular season but uh certainly not during spring right and i mean i'm sure it'll wear off because it always does and by the time may or june rolls around like last night i was watching rocky's diamondbacks and just like full on like full attention watching rocky's diamondbacks Mm, you have a problem i see (laughs) i definitely do but that's you know it's not gonna happen like that in june or july i don't think but you never know. It's just, it's so good having baseball back, though. It is. And that includes the Blue Jays. It's so good watching the Blue Jays. It's so fun watching what they've been up to. I mean, there's a lot to discuss, even after just one week. Well, let me ask you this then, because you know, we talked a lot during spring about don't worry about the results, think about the process, look at velos and how guys are striking the ball and things like that. To me, I feel like that almost extends into the first week of the season, even though you know the results matter now and the Blue Jays are three and three and that matters. Like those wins are going to be wins. Those losses are going to be losses. And Rowdy Tellez being um, 0 for 16 or whatever it is, like that is going to be on his record. And, you know, Randall Gritschuk off to a hot start, like that's going to matter. But how do you contextualize the first week of results it's a good question and to me it's it's very specific um to the to the player when it comes to how much it matters like in the case of rowdy Tellez, you mentioned there doesn't change what i think he is or who i think he can be it, it really doesn't um in the case of julian merriweather i'd say my opinion of him in the last week has changed dramatically but we've seen it before with him. Like, we've seen the stuff. Like, we knew it was there. We saw it last year. We've seen it during spring training. Like, we've talked to people who have been telling us, like, hey, this guy's got lights out, electric stuff. Like, we've known that for a while. Yes, we have. Um, and so it's not a surprise when he comes out there and he has a great four-pitch mix. But, you know, even compared to last year, the velocity is up. He's sitting 99 as opposed to 97, 98. And that's, that difference counts. That's a, that's a move in the right direction. And furthermore, his command is better. 
like his his command is is pinpoint right now. And I don't know if that's going to last. I mean, one presumes that there's some regression coming here for Julian Merriweather. But I just think like almost viewing it more so as, you know, through like a scouting lens, right? Like you're watching the raw stuff. And I've talked to scouts, uh, a couple of them about Julian Merriweather. And they're like, this guy is unbelievable. Like this is, this is incredible. And so I think when, when you are presented with that information, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, like, I'm changing my opinion on, on Julian Merriweather. Yeah, I mean, my thing is you know, Blue Jays people have been telling us that for a long time, that like this guy's got incredible stuff, like he's just got to be on the mound to use it. But, you know, in side sessions and bullpens, like when we watch him throw, like you know, there's a reason why they acquired him for Josh Donaldson. And he was that was the deal that they chose when they had, you know, a few like avenues that could have gone with the Donaldson transaction. They said, no, we want Julie Merriweather because the stuff is that electric. So I guess I'm just not as surprised. Like I kind of always expected that he would be on. And even like last year in 2020, like he he had really dominant outings. Like he looked really good as well. I'm not as caught off guard by it, I guess, as everybody else's. No, no. And, and I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I said on ATL as they were entering, it was this like end of September, I want to say, that there was a case to be made that he might be their second most important pitcher um, behind Ryu because he was that good. And his stuff obviously was good then. The, the reason that my opinions changed in the last week is, is because, A, the stuff is better, as I was just saying. It's actually improved compared to last year. And B, this is a guy who threw twice in spring. Like he was a total unknown because of the health. So to go from total unknown is he even going to be on the roster like healthy enough to pitch to now he looks like justin verlander for one (laughs) inning at a time and that's we know it's not gonna we know it's not gonna keep up i don't want to be taken out of context here but that's what he looks like he's throwing 99 with the starters arsenal i'm still working on the comp myself i don't know who the comp is for the guy like you said starters arsenal in high leverage spots throwing four pitches effectively with you know 99 mile an hour fastball and like 79 mile an hour changeup. as far as you know first six games results like i think you just have to put them aside and wait till we have some more data that may seem obvious but you know being a, a sports observer an analyst you know you're such a prisoner to the moment at all times and what is happening in exactly that moment when you know rowdy tellis doesn't look his best at the plate and when randall gritchuk is barreling absolutely everything he sees but like the way i would contextualize it is you know think back to even in 2020 right which is a 60 game season so the first six games of 2020 actually meant a whole lot more than the first six games of this season but do you remember what guys looked like after six games of 2020 like do you remember how randall gritchuk was was striking the ball do you remember remember what Jordan Romano's first two outings looked like like we we don't remember those things when we get the benefit of a full season so you know you kind of have to remember that like what you feel right now based on what you've seen so far is going to change drastically um you know not just over like the next you know six months but over like the next six games after these ones absolutely right i mean i think when you're talking about brick that's another perfect example of a case where like my perception of him has not changed one bit he's playing really well he deserves credit for that who he is as a baseball player I haven't changed that in my kind of estimation of him. Um, And and absolutely, when you look back at last year, you know, one pitcher who had an amazing first outing in 2020 is Steven Matz. And we know how that (laughs) ended, you know, so these things can take a turn. Even when it starts really well, it can take a turn. 
So now that we've established that uh, all analysis is folly and pointless, uh, let's spend some time analyzing. Uh, let's start with George Springer, who uh, is not going to be returning to the Blue Jays today in Dunedin as he's suffered a quad injury uh, coming off of the oblique injury that he had earlier uh, in camp. And uh, it's a little bit of a trend across MLB right now. It's like a lot of early season injuries. You look at guys, you mentioned Tim Anderson earlier. He's on the IL now. Eloy Jimenez. We all saw the Fernando Tatis injury. Uh, James Paxton threw an inning and a third before going on the IL. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal saw Zach Britton. Saw the like. I mean, the big names. You know, we're not just talking about like depth guys. Like we're not just talking about down roster dudes. Like big names are on the IL. Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson. Yeah across MLB and George Springer um, among them. I guess the difference is he just he hasn't even begun his season. Like Ben, has your level of uh, concern increased uh, since with, with this with this development beyond, you know, your level of concern originally with just the oblique or where are you at on it? Yeah, I would say it's increased. I, I think I think it has to if you're adding a quad into the equation, quad and oblique, not a good combination for any player. Um, you know, quad, obviously, he needs it to run to field. Uh, oblique needs it to swing to throw these are very very important muscles and areas for a baseball player for a center fielder so by all accounts he was progressing well with the oblique um you know and we'll see where it leads with the quad strain i mean honestly it's hard to really pinpoint because the jays as we've talked about before i mean it's really hard to get a read they are the ones controlling the flow of information they are perpetually optimistic about these guys so they always say it's minor and sometimes quote unquote minor leads to three, four weeks. So you, you don't know what to believe. And I, I, you know, I think if you're a fan, it's probably hard to know what to believe. Yeah, we, we talked about this a couple episodes, I think. It's just kind of the skepticism now that is like, at that point, I was kind of like leaning skeptical and now I'm just all the way skeptical on whatever we hear, especially yep. because it's been basically two weeks now of Nate Pearson's about to get back on a mound and he hasn't gone back on a mound. Um, you know, and like George Springer was like on the Zoom call with us talking about I'm going to be pushing to get back you know I feel great took a great step today you know I'm feeling awesome I can't wait to get back out there on the field and then literally hours after that he was going back into the MRI machine <laughs> so it's a you know it is what it is man it's pandemic ball and and we're uh you know we're away from from the team so that like you said they control the flow of information and it's pandemic ball a lot of guys are gonna get hurt for sure, you know, 16 games in a row, and and you zoom out a little further, you're you're always in a stretch of 162 and 185, always, right? Like that's such a grind. There's so yeah. many games that these guys play in a very short period. So, of course, you have to work within that. You know, it's kind of a side tangent. Like I I, I think I'm actually coming around to the idea, probably one that won't ever get traction, but to the idea of shortening the season to like 144 games. Um, just to, to give these guys more built-in rest. I actually think it would help. Um, and their TV considerations and attendance and revenue, and I get that. But, you know, I, I think from a, from a player health standpoint, you just build in more off days, you might get a better product. I think that every Monday should be off across MLB. And then you play Tuesday through Sunday. And maybe you even, like, every team gets, you know, like you're just in one place Tuesday through Sunday. Right. So you limit the travel yeah. even. Right. And, and you just rejig the schedule so that you're not because that's like that's a big part of it is the travel is how many day games after night games, how many flights guys are taking in between going across time zones, buses to the airport personally. And, and the, 
the travel we do is is different than than players because they're of course on charters. But you know, Arden, you and I in a normal year would would travel um, and do these little bursts where you're getting up and you're you're getting on a flight, you're getting in an Uber, like you're doing all you know all this stuff to try to get to the right place on time. And removing that in the course of the last year, obviously because of the pandemic, removing that, like <laughs> there are fewer days where I wake up and I feel like totally just destroyed. It's like it's noticeable. No, it's it's a grind and you're not eating as well as you should be. Right. Because you know, it's particularly not us, but I'm sure even, you know, players in certain points like just aren't getting the right nutrition and the right sort of recovery supplementation that they need in order to rebound. Right. You think about how destroyed we feel like we don't have to go out and perform for three hours every night. Right. We're writing. <laughs> We're sitting at a keyboard. Right? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you think about all the work the players do throughout the day as well. It's working in, in the batting cages and, you know, they got gym workouts and conditioning. They got to stay on top of and meetings and all this stuff right look i get it like it's hard to get people to feel sympathetic for professional athletes but like the grind of a professional baseball player i think is just unlike any other um in any other professional sport really and and this is all said in the spirit of improving the product you know like if if the best product meant the players had to be tired then i would probably advocate for that and say all right they're getting compensated for it they have to be tired like sorry this is the way it is I think that having the players less tired, though, would lead to a better product for the fans um, of the sport. And I think, you know, when you think about the NFL as one example, where they play once a week and you still have so much anticipation, there's never a shortage of storylines. There's always something to look forward to, look back on. If they didn't play on Mondays or if they staggered the schedule and every team always had a day or day or two off every week, it'd be fine. We'd still have a ton to talk about. We'd still have a lot of intrigue. Like there's going to be enough baseball. There's a push pull there, right? Between the quality of the product and maybe lessening that quality a little bit to have more quantity of the product in order to sell, right? Because it's selling 162 games and 81 home dates whenever we do get, you know, fans back in the stands and sold out places again, right? Like all that revenue but I, I agree with you man i think the product would would be better and i think that we'd see players at their best more often which is really what it comes down to right i want to see george springer play yeah man i want to see him running around the center field for the blue jays and uh, hitting the top of the order of like i want to see great players be great i want to see for amber valdez pitch for the houston astros the atl fans know i love that guy so like i i want to see players on the field performing um and i just think that like the injuries uh are gonna you know we've already seen so many of them in this first week and there are 26 more weeks of the season like we're not even four percent into the season yet i just think we're gonna see so many more injuries this year and we're gonna see this stuff really really pile up yeah for sure and you know it is for blue jays fans i'm sure waiting for springer i mean that's it's been a, a wait already and i'm sure everyone's eager to see him but like you said it will be fun to see um, him and in the meantime Randall Gritchuk has been doing well he's been holding it down that's why you have a guy like Randall Gritchuk around and in comparison to a couple of years ago where he more felt like you know they were they were kind of presenting him as this core piece he's modeling the jersey with Vlad and Bo and now he's a guy you can fill in and fill in really capably for Springer while he's still out 
And that's why the preoccupation over the Blue Jays have too many players for not enough roster spots was always ridiculous, as we said over and over again. At no point will they be in that scenario where they're like, everybody is a 900 OPS player and healthy, and there's 10 of them and we only have nine spots. There will always be somebody who's hurt, somebody who's banged up, needs a day off, somebody on the IL. There will always be somebody who's slumping and somebody who like maybe you don't want in the lineup that day and you want to like, you know get a day off uh even just mentally like these things are going to work themselves out as always uh let's shift off the field uh for a second topic in in the first half here and talk about uh, uh the general manager of the club ross atkins who got a five-year extension this week from the blue jays that'll keep him uh around through 2026 or at least he'll be contracted to be around for that for that long um your initial thoughts on the extension of ross atkins you know, not a not a shocking move considering that um, the Jays are in a good spot and Atkins has said he likes it here and Shapiro has said that he believes in the job that Ross Atkins is doing. And so certainly not, um, you know, not a, not a huge surprise or anything, but I do think it's it's significant when you think about general managers in the history of this franchise. And I think we've mentioned this before, but, you know, at, at the end of this term, assuming that Atkins is here for that full time, he will be the second longest tenured general manager in the history of the franchise behind only Pat Gillick. So there's a big opportunity there um, in the course of the next five years. It looks like this team is going to be a good team that's competing. And that's in large part thanks to the work that Atkins has done with the farm system. Obviously, in the last couple of years, we've seen him sign Ryu, George Springer. It's a good team. You know, it's a good team with a good farm system. Uh, it makes sense to me. Like if you have a good team and a good farm system, you're probably not rushing to, to change leadership at the top. You're probably looking to build some stability and, and uh, keep that in place and move it forward. That's the key word, stability honestly. Um, and I would have said some similar things when Mark Shapiro uh, got extended recently is that you want stability atop your organization, atop any organization, not just baseball teams and not just professional sports franchises, any organization. You don't want a revolving door in leadership uh, because every new manager, every new supervisor, every new GM, every new president is going to have their own vision and their own values, their own way of doing things, their own principles, their own beliefs. Uh, and that takes a lot of time to enact. And it takes a lot of time for the people under you to kind of shift the way that they're doing business in order to like follow that lead. Um, you think about these, these visions uh, of like molding a franchise and, and like building something thing that all you know MLB executives must have like they have to have a plan ownership wants to know what you're going to do like that stuff doesn't come to fruition overnight like it takes a lot of time so every time you bring in new leadership like you just knock yourself back <laughs> like you just kind of like reset and you set yourself up for years and years of trying to to build things you know it's like, like there there are exceptions right like perry manassian steps into like a, a franchise in la where it's like hey you've got two of the best players in the world you know yeah and, yeah. and anthony rendon right so yeah there, there are exceptions but i mean generally speaking um I, I these things take just a lot of time to come to fruition it's like anything in life right like you just kind of like it's a slow burn that's right and and you know in this case the stability that they're locking themselves into it has has borne some results and so there is a demonstrated um path that they're on 
Um, there's a vision that they've identified, which obviously was building up the farm system and player development infrastructure, getting a strong core of prospects, supplementing that from, from outside. And so they're in the process of doing that. We don't know where it's going to lead. We don't know that, that Atkins is going to lead this team to the playoffs this year or what the next five years look like. But we can say that we've seen that progress uh, as far as the prospects, as far as the talent of the major league team. Both are in good condition right now. And so that stability, you know, it's not just there for its own sake. Because, I mean, you could look at the Colorado Rockies and say, well, Bud Black and, and Bud Black's not the problem there. He's a good manager. But you could say they've got, you know, Dick Monfort's the, the owner and they've got Jeff Breidich, who's been the GM. And all right, it's stability. But, you know, stability for its own sake it only gets you so far. And in this case, they have stability and they also have some some people who are advancing the interests of the organization in a demonstrated way. Yeah, stability with uh, with poor executives probably isn't what yeah. you want. <laughs> it's not going to help you much. But no. uh, yeah, I think that Mark Spire and Ross Atkins to this point have demonstrated that they're strong executives and that their plan is coming to fruition. Like with with all things, it takes patience, right? And like you know, some of the uh, vitriol that you know you saw in like sixteen and seventeen and eighteen and nineteen and twenty <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, and maybe not so much in twenty. Arden, right? Three months ago, man. Do you remember what the discourse was like? <laughs> in january they they oh. can't land anyone three yeah. months ago this is the discourse yeah well i i feel like it, in 2020 things changed they turned they a little did. bit because people saw it because yes. the team was yeah. winning and they signed ryu too which matters yes and they, they you know yeah. played postseason games right yeah. so a lot like people just need to see it to believe it a lot of the time and and like i get it like people aren't as in the weeds with it as as we are right so they just kind of need to see it in front of their eyes you know they're just not as like steeped into like what's happening beneath the surface as you know people like us and probably some of the most hardcore blue jays fans are for your, your casual consumer it's like what's the what's the major league product and it's like oh you're gonna lose a hundred times times in uh 19 or whatever it was it's like what, what you guys suck right like i get it but i now you are starting to see it at the big league level and yeah it's not just in the young players you know everybody knows the core and everybody knows who has come up and impacted this this franchise but it's also in the external editions right like it's in george springer hunjin ryu as you mentioned it's in marcus simeon like it's in you know the very clear communication that we have heard from mark shapiro and ross atkins that we're not done and that we are going to like dip back into free agency in a meaningful way next off season and oh hey you're probably going to see us make some trades in the near future future that don't look much like the trades we've made previously they look a lot different we're like we're actually now shipping out young talent to bring in win now you know so like people are starting to get like a much clearer look before their eyes of you know what the plan was meant to generate so I, I just think it's just easier for fans now to understand the vision and to kind of buy in to what Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have, have been talking about because they're seeing the strategy right now just kind of materialize in the big leagues. Absolutely. It's, it's a much more fun time to be a Blue Jays fan. And by extension, it's, I think, a lot easier for fans to enjoy uh, the work that's being done by the front office because I, I think the ideal that at least, you know, I think a lot of fans have, I might be wrong, but I think a lot of fans have this ideal of the GM who's the gunslinger, who makes moves, who goes out there, who wants to win, who's willing to give up some, some prospects and some future to win now. And the Jays are in that position now. So as they make those moves, befitting where they are as a franchise and, you know, not, you know, being reckless with it, then I think that, uh, I think that that, 
that will endear or maybe not endear. That's the wrong word, but that will help, uh, you know, as far as the perception goes of, of this front office. But ultimately, it's results as with any team. It's all about results. And so far, the results look good for for this front office. Winning cures everything, man. It's like it's like I said, Vlad, man, nobody will talk about his defense if he just hits. It's like with, you know, Mark and Ross, nobody's going to say Shackens anymore if, if they just win. <laughs> and they won last year, right? And all of a sudden, a lot of that stuff went away because yeah. they were winning. And look, if going forward, if this uh, is not a playoff contender over the next, you know, two, three, four years, like if the Blue Jays are below 500 year after year, if they have like glaring roster deficiencies in the coming years that are not addressed, then yeah, like these guys are going to be wide open to that criticism for it not working and for it not going well and for them not pivoting, uh, you know, at the face of like very clear evidence what they were doing was not working. No doubt. And they'll probably lose their jobs. <laughs> yeah. That's that's professional sports. It's a results-based business. But like calling for them to have lost their jobs in the last three, four, five years was absurd and ridiculous and a mockery. Uh, you know, now is when you start wanting to see the results is 21, 22 23 24 like these are the times when you want to actually see that you know materializing in the big leagues because it's not so much conceptual anymore it's not so much laying the groundwork beneath the surface go from this point going forward it really is about wins at the major league level yeah i think that's that's totally fair and that's um you know it's not just prospect rankings it's not just organizational infrastructure and with atkins i mean it's always it's the big league team in the minor league system i mean that's the job of a gm it's less so those off-field um questions and direction of the franchise issues but that's now shifting from you know largely largely prospects to hey the prospects are important they'll never not be important but the major league team the major league results that's where the focus is that will be it for the first half of at the letters but when we come back we will talk pitching uh and we will talk a whole bunch of other things when it continues on at the letters It continues on at the letters, Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers this week are Matt Collins and Mike Tassoni. And it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. And this week, Ben, I want to talk about a player that uh, I think is close to all of our hearts because we all just want to see it happen. We all just want to see him succeed. And that is Shohei Otani two-way player for Los Angeles Angels and Blue Jays fans are going to get a good look at him uh, this weekend because it looks like he's lined up to uh, to start against the Blue Jays on Sunday in Dunedin and the cool thing about what Shohei Otani's doing this year is when he starts as a pitcher uh, he also hits like second <laughs> in the batting order uh, that's going to be cool Ben uh, I'm sure you watched it uh, you know last week or I guess earlier this week whenever that was when when uh, you know Shohei made his debut playing both ways which was like the most eventful game of all time when you think about he's out here throwing 101 and then he's hitting 450 foot bombs and then he's limping out of the game after like a collision at home plate it just had a little bit of uh, of everything ben but what have you made of it so far it's incredible it's it's totally incredible just that combination of skills like it i forget who was saying this it might have been the cesspitus barbecue guys but someone was saying like if he was able to go out there and let's say 
like even be as good as Trent Thornton as a pitcher <laughs> and as good as, I don't know, like uh, Joe Panic as a hitter, like that would be impressive. Yeah. Like it, it still would be impressive. That's a rare combination. But as a pitcher, he's throwing 101. As a hitter, he's hitting like 110, 115 mile an hour bombs uh, into the into the deep reaches of the bleachers at Angel Stadium. Like he is so explosive. He is so athletic. He's stealing bases too. Like he's such a fast runner. You know this. You've you've written uh, about him years years back now. But it's it's truly amazing. It's so fun to watch him. He's he's just such an incredible incredible talent. I think he's much more advanced as a hitter than he is as a pitcher. Um, and as a pitcher, like he's pretty raw still. But it, you know, it almost—I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. But like, he's still effective as a pitcher. He's still not an easy at bat. So it's incredible. Yeah, no, I can say that he is uh, one of the most talented athletes you're ever going to see play this game. Yeah. Um, maybe play any game for for all the reasons that that you just cited. Uh, and like, he is just—he's just a true athlete, man. Like, he's just a specimen. It was like that's what stuck out to me. That's what I remember the most. You mentioned when I I went to Japan, like when he was still in NPB and wrote about him. You know, years and years ago. This is before he ever came over to MLB. And like, that was my biggest takeaway from meeting him. Was like, you're just a beast. <laughs> he's just a—he's he, just physically imposing. Like, he's just built. Like, like, like if you built an athlete in a lab, you know, he's. Just just a really, really special talent. And yeah, uh, and this kind of gets back to some of like the fatigue and workload injury stuff that we talked about in the first half, Ben. Like, is it sustainable to do both? Like, is it possible to do so over six month seasons, year over year as you age? I, I don't know. I, I love that they're trying it though because they, they tried to be a little more cautious uh, in recent years and didn't necessarily keep him on the field. He still battled some injuries. Now he, you know, as you said, he's an incredible athlete. That's so obvious. He's just such a gifted, gifted athlete and works at it too. I'm not saying it's all just, just natural gifts. Um, and so that combination is someone who is just in just the physical prime that a person could be. And so if anyone can do it, he probably can. I, I don't think it makes sense to put limitations on him. And I love that the Angels are going for it, of course, within reason. And I, I think Joe Madden left him out there too long on Sunday Night Baseball. And, you know, I think it makes all the sense in the world to rest him on Mondays after he pitches on Sundays. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's crazy to have him bat and pitch in the same game. I don't think it's crazy to have him hit five or six days a week and get 500 plate appearances. Like, I, I really want to see it happen. And I also don't think it's irresponsible. I think that's the right move by the Angels, to be honest with you. I desperately want to see it happen. <laughs> I just want to watch. I want to see him do both, man. And I like, I, I want to see, like, see if it works, man. In 2021, you know, of all years and of all points in human history, like we should have an advanced, like scientific, you know, data driven way of managing this. And we should be able to, to the best of our abilities, keep this guy on the field. Um, like, I just want to see the case study. I want to see them try and learn from their mistakes and find better ways to do it going forward. Cause I hope he's not the last guy, yeah. right? Like I hope he's not the only guy on the planet 
who can do this and and who can play both ways at, at such a level, you know, because like, look more than anything about sports. Like I just love seeing incredible athletes. Like I love that competition. I love seeing the best athletes in the world doing amazingly athletic things like that. I don't so much care if the white Sox win or the Padres win or the angels win or whoever, like I just like seeing great athletes be great. So let's see Shohei Otani be great. Let's see him try to do it. Like I will, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't deny that I have my doubts uh, about the workload and about it potentially just being too much, particularly as he ages, like it's one thing now in his mid twenties. I mean, by the time he's 30, We'll see, um, you know, particularly just considering, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, just the the amount of stress on his body, because it's not like he's, you know, out there soft tossing on the mound like Mark Burley. And, you know, it's not like he's like, you know, a D strange Gordon type of hitter, right? <laughs> like he'll slap singles or whatever. Like he, everything that he does has an incredible amount of force and an incredible amount of power and so much energy just surging through his body with every pitch and every big swing so there are so many things that can go wrong and there are so many ways that he could be injured when you consider just how hard he plays this game so uh you know i guess i guess i'm just hedging right now because i'm just sadness hedging about what might be inevitable but uh let, let's let's see him do both i want to see him do both and and i will just enjoy it for as long as it lasts right because you know i think if, if if we're if the question is like can he do this for 10 years my answer is an emphatic no it's just a no if the question is can he do it this year yeah i think i actually think he can and you know it, it almost i don't know why but my mind right now is going to Deion sanders and bo jackson and those guys for whatever period of time it wasn't long but late 80s for jackson early 90s for sanders they were able to do some incredible things and in football even more high impact even more high intensity than baseball and those guys were able to do that brian jordan's another one in combination with their baseball uh responsibilities and do it well those guys had stretches where they were impact players and so there, it takes a special special athlete to do this kind of thing and it's funny you know that jared walsh of the angels is is kind of on that fence and he's not pitching anymore but some guys can can do it or attempt it. Lorenzen with the Reds is another. Um, but Otani's the best of all. And I, I hope we see it for as long as we possibly can. Let's get back to uh, the Blue Jays now and clean up some, some odds and ends. And first of all, I, I just want to say right now, we are going to learn from mistakes of the past. We are going to turn the page right now. And we are never going to do the following again. We are never going to spend six weeks of spring training talking about the 27th and 28th guy <laughs> on the roster. We are going to call it the Reese McGuire rule. You could call it the Bravik Valera rule. You could call it the Derek Fisher rule. Uh, you, you've probably got other names coming to mind of like <laughs> just the guy that we spend all spring talking about who is like out of options on the roster bubble what are they gonna do are they gonna prioritize roster you know asset management or like is he gonna make the team like he's playing for his job this that and the other here's the like honest truth about that guy if that guy was a better baseball player we wouldn't talk about him at all because his spot would be secure and he would just be a big leaguer and because he was a big leaguer, he would be completely overlooked because there is no pivot point there. 
there's no decision to be made. But because there is like a looming decision with guys like Bravid Valera and Reese McGuire who are out of options, we end up talking about them endlessly because there's nothing else to talk about. And then ultimately, as predicted on this very podcast by Ben Nicholson Smith, it does not matter in the end. It is moot. It is a complete waste of everybody's time because both players pass <laughs> through waivers, yeah. Ben. Clear. And both players remain yeah. in the organization. All that time, all those like keystrokes that we punched, all the words that we said about Reese McGuire and Alejandro Kirk and this decision and what are they going to do? And here's this case and there's that case. It didn't matter in the end at all. I know it's kind of funny, right? It, and it is like we foreshadowed it with the Dalton Pompey. We're like, you know what? It kind of reminds Dalton Pompey, me. That's the other one. That's yeah. another one. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh yeah. You know, I wonder maybe he actually just would clear waivers. And then of course, all 29 other teams say, they all say we have 40 players that we would prefer to have on our 40 man roster than Reese McGuire and Bravik Valera. And no, 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 Ben, they so need to carry three catchers for yeah. the first couple of games and then sneak them through when it's going to be more likely that he gets through waivers a couple of days until this right. season no you don't need that level of gamesmanship when it comes to some of these players no you're right like we you know and i, I you know I, I love baseball decisions are the best that's why we like trades that's why we like free agency it's decisions they're so fun right like you have to you have to make this call do they move ahead do they switch do they pivot as you say um and some of these decisions are so low stakes that, as you say, you know, maybe maybe they deserve a little less oxygen than they get. Never again, Ben. Never again. What's uh? So wait, wait. So there's there's a thirty teams with forty man rosters. So thirty times forty is twelve hundred. So the, like what we have learned in the past week is that neither Reese McGuire nor Bravik Valera are among the top twelve hundred players in affiliated ball. Why? Why? All that time. Why? Let's talk about a, an actual big leaguer in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who looks brilliant. Who, like, every ball that he touches with his bat is exploding off of his bat. Uh, the, like, the, the progress is real. And the breakout so far is real. And you can rewind this podcast by about 25 minutes. And I'll tell you that the first six games, the results, like, you will hear me saying, like, yeah, don't read anything into them. And you shouldn't take too much away from it. But... The exit velo that you're seeing for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the launch angle that you're seeing and the line drives, um, the way that he is striking the ball, that process is real. And that is everything that you wanted to see as the Toronto Blue Jays from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to begin the season. No doubt. Yeah, and, and exactly. It's like you say, it's the it's the exit velo, right? It's not like he's hitting these little, you know, ground balls through the shift and he, he legs out a double or something, or, you know, it's a dropped fly ball between two outfielders and, oh, there's there's a another double for Vladdy. Like, he's squaring up the baseball. Um, his takes seem good. His composure at the plate, um, his plan to the extent that we can ascertain that from afar seems to be good. You know, you can just, you can see he's not chasing these sliders off the plate. He does seem to be getting Joe Settle at a great um, segment of this on Blue Jays Central recently, where you can, you can kind of look at the way that Vladdy's using his body, loading up his, um, his, his swing to make sure that he's making hard contact. And that does connect to the physical shape that he Yes. Two things on that. Number one, great point about the plate appearances, which have looked fantastic. Like he is laying off of pitches outside the zone. He's not chasing crap. He's still getting calls that aren't going his way. But if a call doesn't go his way, he isn't like expanding on the next pitch. Like he isn't getting frustrated and, and coming out of his approach and his plan. He's sticking with it. 
that's maturity. That's growth right there. If he sticks with this vision and this discipline, if he keeps making the swing decisions that he's making, look out, man. Like if he sticks with that approach, that's huge. Number two, you're right. Siddle did a great segment on that. And like the conditioning improvements are very real, but let me make a point here that I want to get your take on. I think the conditioning improvements are showing up more in how he is practicing than how he is playing. And let me explain that to you. There was a quote from Vlad this spring that like shot alarm bells off in my head when he said, you know, back when I wasn't as well conditioned and I was carrying 42 more pounds, whatever it is, I used to get tired taking ground balls and I would get fatigued swinging in the cages. And, you know, and now I don't get fatigued taking 100 swings. You know, now I don't get tired taking 50, 60 ground balls in my head. That was like ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I I think that makes sense for sure. And, you know, he is still such a young player. And so there was always the the occasion or opportunity for him to make this adjustment. But with Vladdy or with any player, really, you have to see it to believe it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and just assume my way into Vladdy, the all-star. Um, I mean, I guess I have done that before, but I, I it's probably not. <laughs> Three yeah, years running, yeah. buddy. <laughs> it's probably, yeah, that's true. So um, it's probably not the um, most prudent way to go about things. Um, but now what we're seeing is we're seeing change uh, approach, a change in his swing, a change in the way that the ball is leaving his bat. And that, again, doesn't guarantee anything going forward, but it's certainly got to be encouraging for the Blue Jays as they take stock of a player who's every bit as important to the future of this franchise as anybody on this roster. I just think you got to remember that, like, you know, the the swings that we see in a game are like less than 5% of the swings a guy takes in a day. It, it, that extends to first base where Vladdy's like looked pretty good picking balls out of the dirt like maybe we can get into this in a minute some of the erratic throws that he's had to to handle there at first base like he looks more flexible and he looks better around the bag well hey he's not tired when he's practicing that stuff anymore he's not fatigued like he's actually making gains and like actually installing good movements and good muscle memory and good movement patterns now in his practice with Louis Rivera at first base, instead of, as he has said, after 40, 50, 60 ground balls, feeling tired and feeling fatigued and feeling like he doesn't want to be doing that anymore. Now he's getting better and that's showing up in games. He's looked pretty okay at first base. We haven't seen like too many of those decisions that he has to make on balls to his right. And we haven't seen too many of those sort of pop-ups, uh, you know, towering, you know, pop-ups in, in foul territory, which sometimes he has misjudged, but we have seen him have, you know, need to adjust to a lot of erratic throws from third base and, and from shortstop. He's done a pretty nice job of it. What, what have you made so far of not only Vlad's play at first base, but also some of the erratic infield defense that we have seen on the left side yeah you know i think vladdy looks okay um i'm not overwhelmed i'm not impressed i don't i'm not concerned like i I think he looks okay um yeah i I don't know you'll take it yeah i think i i again like going into the year like i didn't expect him to field well because i've never seen him field well i've never seen him be a good defensive player at all i'm not trying to say he's justin smoke but he is saving some errors with his play at first yeah yeah no and he's made some good picks he's no doubt He's, he's made some good picks to his credit, to his credit. Um, you know, I, again, I think you put, if you put a good or average major league first baseman in that position, they should be saving you some, some uh, throwing errors. They should be picking some balls. That's why they're defending instead of playing DH, you know, like that's, that is their job. And so, 
you know, with with Vlad, yeah, I'm I've just I've seen good defensive skills from him. Obviously, he has a strong throwing arm. Obviously, you know, people say he has good hands, and and so at times we've seen that. Um, but I'm not super impressed with him defensively. I'm not super down on him defensively. And then Bo, you know, Bo defensively hasn't looked great to me, and Cavan too. You know, I think the left side of the infield leaves something to be desired right now. What, what's your read? I think that I need to see more. I think there's only been six games and I just, I need to see more. I need to see if those guys settle in. I agree with you. There have been some shaky moments. There have been some, some inconsistent throws and those are things that you can address. And I think more so than anything, like you really can continue to develop defense at the big league level. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's pretty hard to continue developing as a hitter. When you see guys make massive adjustments as a hitter at the big league level, it's super impressive because of how hard that is. I think as a defender, you can still make quite a few gains in seasons. So look at Marcus Semyon and his progression from white Sox to A's to shortstop to second base. Like he wasn't good when he came into the league and he got to be a good defender. He had over 30 errors as a shortstop in his first full season as a shortstop. And now this is the guy everybody's pining for to be the blue Jays shortstop. Cause those are the improvements they made that's the development that he that he executed yeah the big league level it's tremendous credit to him to how 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 hard he works so i need to see this kind of progress over the season like i will say for 2021 like this is what it's going to be like this is your infield barring you know some sort of like massive mid-season trade so this is your infield so you're going to see what it is and look if if Bo bichette plays himself out of shortstop you'll live with that because you've got you gave him the opportunity you gave him the chance you gave him all the tools and the resources and he worked really hard at it didn't work out okay he's just a second baseman who's leading the league in hits right like that's fine and you can go and get a shortstop from the like massive class of shortstops hitting free agency next year like you can immediately like upgrade that position you can figure that out if Kevin Biggio like isn't an everyday third baseman. He can go back to being a utility player and a guy who moves around, right? Like, you know, we'll see how these guys, how their careers progress. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to draw any conclusions off of the first six games that we've seen, uh, but I am going to obviously monitor it as, as the season goes on. I just feel like 2021 is going to be a year where the Blue Jays kind of figure out what they have on the infield and where guys are going to fit long term. And then they will take the information that they have get gleaned and gained in 2021 and make decisions going forward for 2022 as to whether players need to move positions, as to whether you need to go and aggressively pursue a Korea or a Story or a Seeger, uh, and as to, you know, how a Jordan Groshans might fit in if he's a third baseman, as to where Austin Martin might fit in. I think the Blue Jays are just going to gather that information this year and then make some real impactful decisions the following offseason. You know, for sure. And I think when going back to that discussion off the top about what we can take away from the results so far and what we can't, none of what I've seen so far from Vladdy or from Bo or from Biggio changes what I think, which is that they're certainly capable of being at the major league level and getting that chance. And then in the course of this coming season, the Blue Jays will find out a lot more, like you're saying, about how these guys do. Because small samples apply on defense too. We haven't seen the full range of challenges for these guys. We haven't seen how they respond to that full range of challenges defensively. And so let it play out and we'll see where he leads. And, and you know, at this point, it's been it's been OK and we'll see where it goes. Four pitchers to touch on before we wrap up on ATL. Uh, let's start with Merriweather because we kind of started this conversation a little bit off the top. But I feel like um, a little bit of an interesting fork in this guy's career, obviously 
health concerns with him throughout his career. There's a reason he's a 30 year old rookie. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, roster concerns for the Blue Jays. Where can he impact you now? You know, best now. Where does he fit best now? Like what uh, makes the most sense for not only him going forward, but for the franchise going forward? It's funny, man. Like usually we have these sort of conversations about 23 year olds about, oh, you know, do you keep trying to be a starter? Do you keep going back to that well? Or do you just sort of leave well enough alone and let him be a lights out reliever? Well, we're having that conversation now about a 30 year old rookie. What do you think the Blue Jays should do? Just let him stay in the bullpen. Don't overcomplicate <laughs> it. He's so good there. You don't need to try to get seven innings out of this guy. Like it's, yeah, of course, if if there was a guarantee of health, if you could like offer Ross Atkins, like there is a guarantee that he is going to stay healthy. It's just a question of how you use him. Then of course he's in the starting rotation tomorrow. He's throwing seven innings every five days and he's pitching 200 innings and like getting Cy Young votes. Like he's good and that's what you do, but you just don't have that guarantee, nor should you tempt fate by trying to push him further in that direction. Like he's, um, it, it, just take what you can get. He's an incredible reliever right now. Don't even assume like don't even assume that he's going to be still healthy in June. Like that's a dangerous assumption. He's good right now. He's lights out right now. He might be hurt in May. Like we don't know. But right now he's incredible as a reliever. So in my opinion, just take it and use him as long as he's healthy. I think for this season, he remains in the role that he's in. Um, like personally, I wouldn't mind if you could get him stretched back out to like that two inning role, you know, and not even two innings, like that six to nine batter role, that one trip through role that we've seen. Because like what, like what's better than Julian Merriweather just blowing away three Yankees in the ninth? Uh, Julian Merriweather blowing away seven to nine Yankees in the fifth and sixth, in my opinion. Uh, you know, so like I, I would love to see him get back to that situation because then it just opens up so many more avenues, right? You can use them as an opener. You can use them. You can still use him at the end of games you can use him in the middle of games like he's just become such a more useful tool but i certainly do like i am very sympathetic to the argument of like hey man it's working what you got right now maybe just like let him be and let him be settled because like think about you know what this guy has had to go through in terms of preparing for different roles right like he's been a starter his entire life and then last year he's pitching out of a bullpen and pitching in that role that i was just describing this offseason works to prepare himself physically and mentally to be a starter comes into spring assuming that and now all of a sudden he's a closer right like you know talk to like ryan baraki and thomas hatch about how difficult the adjustment can be you know in terms of how you prepare and what your routines are like um what your mentality is like in between um outings when when you know between these disparate roles so you know julian merriweather would be benefited by having some certainty as to you know how he should structure his routines and how he should sort of program his workload outside of like what we see on the mound in games, um, which is all to say, I don't know what the Blue Jays are going to do going forward, but I would like to see him get back to that role that, he, that he's filled last year. Yeah, getting a little greedy there, but uh, I like it. I, I, I understand. I, know. Um, I think um, the Blue Jays are getting greedy by one, you know, trying to make him a starter. Yeah, totally. Right? Totally. Um, and, you want to talk about greedy? That's really yeah, greedy. No, I know. And, and I am not immune to that either, you know, even, even projecting or just, you know, looking at how good he, he is. It's impossible not to be a little greedy. And so let me along the along those lines, let me let me be greedy 6 months from now and assume, which is a dangerous assumption, but assume that he is healthy and the Blue Jays are in a wild card game or in the playoffs. And this is the kind of arm that you need. 
This is the kind of arm that you can put out there against the best lineups in baseball. We just saw it, right? We saw it against the Yankees. The proof of concept is there. They are one of the best lineups in baseball. He dominated them. So that's the kind of thing that you need if you're going to succeed in October. That exists. Now it's only a question of can the Jays make it and can he be healthy, which <laughs> those are two big questions. But the, the proof of concept exists. This guy's stuff plays against the best hitters. Uh, Steven Matz, pretty impressive in, in his uh, debut. And I think you maybe tipped your hand earlier in the podcast when he said, hey, you know, who had a pretty good first outing in 2020, Steven Matz. Uh, but look, as Blue Jays, like you, you cannot be upset with what you got from Steven Matz at the returns one outing. You're, you're going to need to see it more. Obviously, you're going to have to see it repeated. But I mean, stuff was on point. He was in the zone locating had command didn't let things spiral when things got tough which was which is a big thing for him you you look at like last season a lot of his runs came in the span of a very small like amount of innings like i think i wrote it it was like 40 percent of his runs came within like three innings pitched you know like he has had some real disastrous innings where things just spiraled and got really bad on him didn't happen uh, you know, on the mound of his first Blue Jays appearance, you have to be uh, cautiously optimistic, Ben, with what you see. Yes, I think without a doubt. I think anytime a pitcher comes out there with increased velocity, with a willingness to attack the strike zone, with nine strikeouts in a major league game, that's only a good thing. And of course, it's going to take more than one outing for me to be fully convinced. I think that's only, only natural, only logical at this point in the season. But I mean, that's that outing was best case scenario, right? Like there was nothing more that I mean, I, yeah, I guess he could have been throwing harder or whatever, but that's pretty much as good as it as it could get for what you were hoping for from Matt's if you're the Jays. Let's talk about Tanner Roark and then we'll end uh, on something positive uh, with Hunjin Ryu. But with Roark, uh, first of all, obviously did not have it in his first outing uh, of the 2021 season. And like, like I like make no bones about it. He was downright uncompetitive in that outing against Texas and you could see it in the process. Like you could see it on the mound that this was a low nineties fastball and a cutter that was not moving. And he was, you know, with the fastball, like missing way off the plate or right over the, the heart of it. And he was getting rocked, man. Like just, you know, screaming liners coming off of bats, three home runs and three innings. Like his performance was not of an MLB standard in that outing. And yet, I would argue he should get another. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. I think you're right. I think, um, you know, it's just too long of a season. If they played three times a week, it would be different, right? Then no, but they play six, seven times a week. Like you just, there's so many innings that you need covered. And so each pitcher who has a track record of covering those innings, I mean, if if he's there, if he's yours, you want to take a look and find out, can he be a piece? And maybe the answer is no. Like, I I think that's a possibility that any clear-eyed Blue Jays fan, Blue Jays executive, of course, you have to be open to that possibility that he might be done. But are we willing to say that after one outing? Like, I just, I don't, I'm not there. I'm not willing to say that after one outing. But after two or three, 
I might be willing. Yeah, no, I'm not willing to say it after one outing. We have seen too many times, you know, pitchers just don't have it for whatever reason on a given night. Um, Considering the track record, considering, and this is like part of it, the $12 million salary, considering the like need for innings this year of every club and just like how like much you know game time how many innings are gonna have to be eaten how much you have to cover i think you give him another opportunity like here's what i think you do i think you give him his next start and you have a contingency plan in the bullpen whether it's tommy malone or it's anthony k like you have somebody there ready to go in case things go haywire tanner roark takes the mound ready to go like five yeah exactly yeah tanner roark takes the mound if he's good great carry on if he's mediocre you probably live with that because you need the innings if he looks the way they did against texas you're getting him out of there early and you're yanking them before things get too bad. You're bringing in your Malone. You're bringing in your your K. And after the game, you are sitting them down and you're talking to them and you're saying, look, we're going to IL you. And it's, I mean, I promise you he has some inflammation or some fatigue. I promise you they can find a reason to do it. And you let him go away for four to six weeks. And you let him just like recalibrate mentally, decompress, try to make some gains strength and conditioning wise and try to make some progress in bullpens away from competition. And then you bring him back some point in May, early June, whatever, find a soft spot in the schedule. You bring him back, you give him another shot at that point. And if he's bad again, if he is that quality at that point again, then you look at releasing him. But now is not the time. I agree. I agree with that. I think that's, you know, you're probably one start away from a phantom IL at this point. Um, and the IL, I mean, the, the reason you would do that instead of a straight release is because if something, you know, like let's say, because it could happen, Hyunjin Ryu takes a line drive off his shin and he's out for four weeks recovering, not good. Um, you need innings. like, And so that's why you would keep him around just in case. Um, and then if, you know, if, if this continues, he's got a 70 RA in, in late May, at that point, like it, yeah, it's a sunk cost. You move on. Yeah. To be clear, like if it is, if the, if what we saw from him in his first outing is what it's going to be this year, then yeah, that doesn't get anything more than two or three starts to be clear. Yeah. He got, he threw, I think it was 20 pitch, 20 fastballs, zero swings and misses. Like it did, and that's against a bad hitting team. Like, you, you know, now, like we saw that the Blue Jays preferred TJ Zoic over Tanner Roark, and they would never say this publicly, but like reading between the lines, kind of can see why you wouldn't have wanted Stanton and Judge and LeMahieu and Glaber Torres teeing off mm-hmm. against that stuff. And look, the Blue Jays have more information on this than anything, than any of us, right? So if they have reason to be confident in Tanner Roark, like they have that reason. I just like, I just think the calls for him to be like released and banished and like, you know, sent to the land of wind and ghosts. Like, I just think it's a little premature. I think if we see another couple outings like that, absolutely. But not after just one outing is my point. He's got a long track record. He was a, a pretty good, very serviceable pitcher from like 2014 to 2019. And that's two years removed. So, it, you know, it has been a while and a lot's changed since 2019, but it's, a, you know, it's worth another look, in my opinion. The, you know who the standard is high for, and I want to end on this guy because he has just been so quietly dominant, is Hunjin Ryu. The standard is so high for him. And whereas Tanner Roark was uh, really uncompetitive against the Texas Rangers, Hunjin Ryu was like dominant that day he had some results go against him and he gave up some contact but like holy crap his stuff was good 
on that day like as you know and i've been watching him like pretty closely uh you know for the last way made 12 starts last year so like 14 starts now that might have been like as good as i've seen him man he was carving painting it was like 17 swinging strikes like i'm sure the quality of the uh of the rangers batting order had something to do with it but like man yeah, he's he's been so good for this team, and I think I think all that's fair. And you know, as much as the Rangers, you know, they're really not a good offensive team. But you look at what he did in his first start against the Yankees, who might be the best offense in baseball, and he had these guys. Like it was really remarkable to me how he's throwing ninety one. He still doesn't throw hard, but he's throwing ninety one, and he just has the Yankees hitters late on ninety one because they're geared up or geared down for the changeup. They're trying to balance against all of his different arsenal. And so they're they're constantly late on his fastball. It's remarkable. It is a proven skill set that works for him year after year at a time that all these other pitchers are throwing harder than ever. He gets by with command and movement and guile. And he's he's so much fun to watch. It's really been a great start to the season for Ryu. Yeah, his patterning is elite, you know, his unpredictability. And that's like, that's how he ends up with that many swinging strikes. Cause it's not like he's just working to get to one pitch and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to get eight swinging strikes with my uh, change up today or something like that. Like against Texas, it was like six swinging strikes with the change up, six with the cutter, a handful more with the four seamer, a couple with the curve ball. Like it's just, it's any pitch in any count and it's hitters being uncomfortable and having their timing disrupted and the bats sped up and slowed down and i just it's got to be a miserable uncomfortable day as a hitter uh with ryu and this is a nice way to kind of wrap up the podcast the workload and fatigue management podcast as it were how do you manage this guy this year ben because he is so so crucial to this club and we've seen in recent seasons like he's often pitched on a six day turn rather than a five day turn he's often had that extra day of rest and you can understand because the injury history is a significant one with him i mean obviously he didn't hit the il in 2020 but that was very much the exception to the rule like you look throughout you know the years preceding that with the dodgers and it's groin injuries and hip problems and foot and shoulder and glute and i mean he's had all kinds of issues so the blue jays need to be very careful with how they manage his workload going forward how do you Ben kind of chart out his season. How often are you trying to steal him an extra day? I try to do it pretty often. I, yeah, I think I'm not in the game of skipping starts or anything like that, but I would try to build in a fifth day of rest pretty often for you, like almost at least as often as not, to be honest with you. Because, um, like, to me, the goal isn't just to get through the season. If you're like, the goal is to win the World Series, right? That's That's very clear for this team. So, for this franchise. So that means, okay, what does that look like? What does that look like if the Blue Jays are actually winning the World Series? Well, Ryu is probably starting two games in the ALCS. He's probably starting two games in the World Series. And, you know, because like, I just don't see, it's really hard to imagine another way for that to unfold. So he's starting, that's four times in the last two weeks of October. And he's good in those games too, because they're, if they're winning, that he has to be good. So you need him really healthy at the end of October. I don't know, man. Like, I just, I don't think that, I don't think you get to that point by just grinding. Hey, he feels pretty good now. Like, let's just, you know, ride him every five days. Like, I think you got to build on that rest. No, absolutely. I think you got to find strategic locations for a Anthony K spot start and a, uh, you know, when he's healthy, a Thomas Hatch 
spots start like this would be a lot easier bullpen game yeah thornton right keep stripling on yeah merriweather for two thornton for yeah. three and figure out the rest right like i and this would be a lot easier if robbie ray was taking regular turns and if yeah. patch was healthy man if patrick murphy was healthy who i think was going to be a, a part of this pitching staff this year nate pearson obviously like you know the blue jays like pitching depth has thinned out rather quickly <laughs> six days into the season so it might be a little difficult to do now but if they get to a point where they have more sort of arms ready to go on hand uh yeah you know may june july you need to be looking for spots to get hunch Ryu a little bit more rest and to just actively manage his workload as the season goes on because you're right it's about late September it's about mid-October like that's when you want him to be peaking and like on point and ready to go every five yeah exactly I mean I don't think it's just lip service when when you know that goal is is discussed and certainly I'm sure Blue Jays fans are hoping it's not so you actually have to plan for it you can't just assume it's gonna happen so I think that's you can you can do that if um if they're proactive as far as getting some of that rest in Yes, absolutely. And that's going to be it for us this week on At The Letters. Want to thank our producers, Matt Collins and Mike Tassoni. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith. He's on Twitter at B Nicholson-Smith. My name's Arden Zwelling. I'm on Twitter at Arden Zwelling. We'll talk to you next week on At The Letters.